Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that this month's podcast is sponsored by Massimo. Pulse oximetry is a commonly used monitoring technology for assessing oxygen saturation and pulse rate. But for many years, traditional pulse oximetry was plagued by unreliability when it was needed most, during patient motion and low perfusion. Massimo overcame this challenge with Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET. With its ability to measure through motion and low perfusion, Massimo SET has opened new frontiers in patient monitoring during challenging conditions, helping clinicians improve patient outcomes. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. And now let's hear what is in the November issue of the journal. Hello, and welcome to the Respiratory Care Podcast and Editor's Commentary for November 2022. I'm Rich Branson. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. Thanks for joining us. This month's Editor's Choice is a paper by Hoxpa and others evaluating respiratory muscle thickness in subjects with COVID-19. Subjects with COVID-19 requiring mechanical ventilation for less than two hours had an initial ultrasound examination of the diaphragm, rectus abdominis, and lateral abdominal wall muscles followed by daily measures up to eight evaluations. In a sample of 30 subjects, the changes were evenly distributed between no change, a decrease in thickness, and an increase in thickness of the diaphragm. A mixed effect linear regression showed an association of atrophy with neuromuscular blockade. Morris and Gallagher opined that ultrasound may be a key to a future paradigm of both lung and diaphragm protective ventilation for acute respiratory failure. Webb and colleagues performed a retrospective evaluation of the ROCKS and ROCKS HR index to predict high flow nasal cannula failure in pediatric intensive care unit. Over a 36-month period, they evaluated 446 patient encounters and saw a high flow nasal cannula failure rate of 25%. Failure was associated with lower ROCKS and lower ROCKS HR scores similar to adults. They concluded that the ROCKS heart heart rate score could be effective at predicting success of high-flow nasal cannula in children less than two years of age. Rogerson and Cater provide comment noting the increased use of high-flow nasal cannula in pediatrics, but also reminding us of the challenges of using adult metrics in pediatrics where the high variability in vital signs across ages represents a far more heterogeneous population. They encourage further prospective research on these indices across a wide range of pediatric ages. Loberger and colleagues describe a quality improvement initiative in the PICU evaluating a bundled extubation readiness and an analgesia and sedation protocol. Following implementation, benzodiazepine use was reduced by 75% and duration of ventilation was reduced by 23%. However, there were no differences in observed PICU days, narcotic withdrawal, or delirium treatment. Reader and Heath provide comment that the findings in this trial suggest that future studies in pediatrics should consider the ABCDEF bundle, which has been very successful in adults. They also note that Loberger results cannot determine which of the interventions was associated with the observed improvement. Willis et al. retrospective reviewed the application of a score-based albuterol therapy pathway in children with asthma. Over two years, children greater than two years old admitted to the PICU or step-down unit receiving continuous albuterol were studied. Subjects were managed using the pediatric asthma score and dose and duration of albuterol use, 
complications and length of stay were evaluated. Intubation was infrequent and readmissions within 30 days was less than 1%. They concluded that a respiratory therapist-driven score-based pathway for initiation and discontinuation of continuous albuterol for the treatment of pediatric asthma exacerbation was safe and effective. Nickel and others describe a model to simulate intrinsic PEEP, which can be used to evaluate and ameliorate asynchrony. Expiratory resistance was increased as a, at a given breathing frequency to create air trapping. Increases in muscle pressure were then required to overcome the intrinsic PEEP, demonstrating the utility of this model. Models for intrinsic PEEP are intrinsically tricky because airway resistance isn't consistent throughout the respiratory system and usually airway resistance is greatest towards the end of the expiratory phase. It's often hard to model this, but um, computerized lung models makes it much more easy. Jesus et al. performed a cross-sectional study of informal caregivers of patients requiring home oxygen therapy. Using validated sur surveys, they evaluated dyspnea, caregiver burden, and quality of life. They found that increased caregiver burden was associated with greater physical limitations resulting from patient dyspnea, resulting in a poor quality of life for the caregiver. I think anybody who's been a caregiver of someone with a chronic illness realizes that there are certain parts of caring for the patient that limit the caregiver's quality of life. Quach and others performed a Delphi study of Canadian respiratory therapists regarding recently published guidelines on pediatric mechanical ventilation. They evaluated 59 practice statements achieving consensus at around three on 10 sections. The findings suggested that respiratory therapy perspectives align closely with the guidelines. And these guidelines are from the European Respiratory Society. Altiar et al. evaluated ultrasound of the diaphragm and electromyography using EADI for determining weaning success. Subjects invasively ventilated for greater than 48 hours scheduled for a spontaneous breathing trial were studied. During the initial five-minute spontaneous breathing trial, mean values for EDI peak minus EDI minimum, tidal volume, and breathing frequency were measured. Ultrasound examination of the diaphragm and assessment of diaphragmatic excursion and diaphragmatic thickening fraction were recorded 30 minutes after initiation of the SBT. They found that diaphragmatic, diaphragmatic electromyography indices were inferior to ultrasonography in prediction of ventilator liberation outcome. This is a small study, and as we see in the journal over the last year, there's a lot of interest in ultrasound of the diaphragm and the respiratory muscles. And it's a growing area, a place for respiratory therapists to become involved, but still requires some expertise to perform the studies and to interpret the outcomes. Raboni and others evaluated factors predicting the success of high flow nasal cannula in COVID-19 in an observational study. They evaluated 128 subjects over six months with a high flow nasal cannula success rate of 53%. I think this is important. We all saw during COVID-19 that high flow nasal cannula was a valuable treatment, but there are still often times where these patients were so sick where failure was, was about half the time. Variables associated with failure included an elevate, elevated Carlson comorbidity index, higher FiO2, and higher requirement for oxygen flow. Failure occurred in the first 24 hours of therapy, was associated with mortality, and was predicted by a ROC score less than 3.5. They concluded that high flow nasal cannula use requires close monitoring to determine which patients require escalation of ventilatory support. Similar to NIV, when high flow nasal cannula fails, 
we shouldn't look at it as a failure of something we've done, but just that the patient needs an escalation of their, in, of their support because they're so sick. Schieffer and others provide a short report on the impact of complications and code status downgrades in COVID-19. They investigated the relationship of high mortality rate, pre-existing disease, and complications on decisions related to palliative care during the pandemic. This is an interesting study um, for respiratory care. It's a group from Wake Forest looking at patients coming to the emergency department with advanced chronic disease complicated by COVID-19 and how the decision to forego intensive care um, changed what would be the reported mortality rates um, was an important part of, of what was seen with COVID-19. Cousin et al. evaluated the impact of high PEEP on interpulmonary shunt in subjects with COVID-19. They found that two-thirds of subjects responded to PEEP with recruitment and reductions in interpulmonary shunt. They did not demonstrate two different phenotypes of COVID as been postulated by others. This continues to be a little bit of an issue with some very well-respected experts um, clinging to the fact that there's two kinds of ARDS, one with COVID, um, different being than the traditional ARDS. Um, this does not support that viewpoint. Kahn and colleagues compared oscillometry to standard spirometry and volunteers following chest wall strapping. This is a study where the group is looking at simulating hypoxemia by breathing hypoxic gas mixtures and wanted to bind the chest to make the breathing pattern be more like patients who have hypoxemia, more of a rapid shallow breathing index. Part of the chest strapping is to make sure that you've restricted the lung and, the, and decrease the vital capacity. They found that oscillometry effectively determined the decrease in compliance without requiring subject effort that's necessary for spirometry. Wang and others contribute a systematic review on inspiratory muscle training on respiratory function and asthma. Miller and Scott contribute a year in review on pediatric mechanical ventilation. This review highlights the important publications in this area in the last 12 months. We appreciate you tuning in to the Restorative Care Podcast and look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thank you. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.